I don't know if you have noticed, but kids and adults have a very different relationship with escalators. I don't know if you think about that very much, but for an adult, an escalator is a tool, right? It's a tool to get from one floor to another floor. For a kid, an escalator is a giant toy. It's like a playground. And if you've ever walked up to an escalator with a bunch of kids around, you, you notice that they, they must get together and have a meeting and say, every time we go to an escalator, let's try to walk up the down escalator, or let's try to walk down the up escalator. Never fails. They all, they've all agreed to do this. Now, my older kids do this fine. They'll run up the down escalator, and before we even you know, notice it, they're coming down, as long as no people are on it. Uh, but the younger ones, they try to follow the siblings up, but they get a little tired. And about halfway up, they kind of lose steam, and they realize, okay, this is hard. And they just stop. And what happens? They come right back to where they were, right back to the beginning. Now, this strikes me as a bit of a metaphor for life, a bit of a metaphor for spiritual progress. We all have changes that we want to make in our life. We want to become kinder people. We want to leave a mark on our community. We want to become more faithful at work, more consistent at work. We want to be better parents. And so we try, we really try, and we find ourselves running up the down escalator. And as soon as we let go for one minute, as soon as we stop striving, where do we end up? Right back where we started. Maybe in January of last year, you decided This year, I'm going to exercise, I'm going to diet, I'm going to eat better, I'm going to be a more active person. Maybe you don't want to be the biggest loser, but you want to at least maintain where you are. You don't want to go backwards. And so for 10 months, you really strive. You you eat right, you diet, you exercise when you can, and you try real hard. And then 10 months into the year, what happens? Thanksgiving happens. And then Christmas happens. And then the new year happens happens, and you're right back to where you started. You know the only thing that you have to do to get right back to where you started is what? Nothing. You simply have to let go. You simply have to give up on your resolutions. You do the very same thing that the kid does halfway up the escalator. Nothing. And you ride right back down to the bottom. Now, If you paid attention in science classes in high school, you realize there's a a law for this. It's the second law of thermodynamics, that the principle of decay is at work in our world. It's at work in our bodies. It's at work in our spiritual life, that relationships have, we have to strive in relationships to keep them afloat, keep them healthy. We have to work really hard to keep our bodies together. We have to try really hard to grow as, as persons. And if we let up for an instant, it seems like life begins to fall apart. It seems like we're just going right back down to where we, thought, where we started. We've given up progress. So is there any hope? Is there any way that we can get up that escalator? What do we do? Well, maybe you're not completely convinced yet that Jesus is the true vine. Maybe you're here and you're investigating, but what we have in common, all of us, is that we all want to grow as persons. We all want to become more spiritual in our outlook. We want to become less anxious, less worried, more patient with our children and our our roommate. We want to be more at peace in the world that we live in. We want to leave a lasting mark and be a person that others want to be around. What, uh, What Jesus is saying in this passage 
is that not only is change possible, but if you are a branch that's connected to the vine, it is inevitable. It is inevitable. It will happen because what Jesus says is that I will remake you, that I am committed much more to your spiritual change, to your spiritual progress, to your spiritual maturity than you could ever be. If you are a branch that's connected with the true vine, you will change. And as we look at this analogy between the vine and the branches, we'll see that this relationship is two things. It's powerful and it's reproductive. Powerful and reproductive. Let's look first of all at powerful. This analogy, the relationship between the vine and the branches is powerful. It's different than all other relationships that we're accustomed to. Because in all of our other human relationships, we talk about how we influence someone, they influence us, their character rubs off on us, we rub off on them. Husbands and wives grow to be more similar in their outlook, more similar in their personalities. That's how human relationships happen and influence one another. But the vine, however, doesn't simply come to bear influence on you. The vine doesn't come to put a few positive changes in place. It doesn't come to give you just a more spiritual outlook. The vine comes to utterly possess you. The vine says, I am your life. I am your source of life. I am your center. You will die without me. That's what the vine says. And what we have to wrestle with, if we're here considering Christianity Or if we've been a Christian for years and years, what we have to realize and remember again is that Jesus doesn't come simply requesting that you change your perspective, you change your behavior, but he comes wanting to utterly possess you for all eternity. That's what you wrestle with. If you investigate Jesus, that's what he's saying. I want to utterly possess you. Now, when many of us read this passage... When many of us hear these words, we think immediately, we start asking, okay, what do I do? How do I obey? How do I remain? How do I abide? We're asking, how do I better walk up the down elevator? It's the wrong question to ask of this passage. This is the don't just stand there, do something version of Christian spirituality. And many of us as American Western, pull yourself up by the bootstraps people, Buy into that. Don't just stand there. Do something. Get busy. March towards your maturity. Make it happen. Stir things up. It's your responsibility. Do it. And so we're asking, how do I better climb the elevator? Now, we have conflicting responses to this because, on one hand, this is very daunting and it's very defeating because we fail, right? We fumble the ball. We feel like the Bible is always piling on more and more to-dos, more and more expectations. How can I possibly follow them all? And if we let up for one moment, we're going to fall back down the elevator. We're going to be one of those branches that it talks about getting gathered up and thrown in the fire. If we don't do it, if we just stand there, we're going to get thrown off. It's a very fearful way to live. It's daunting and defeating. But on the other hand, those of us who are high achievers in this room, those of us who have been at this thing quite a while, and we know the hoops to jump through, we know how to walk right, we know how to sit right in the pew, we know how the game is played, we like this because it gives us a sense of control. It gives us a sense 
that we are contributing to our salvation, contributing to our forward progress. We're not just standing here. We're doing something about it. So it makes us happy. It's attractive. But if we understand the analogy, this vine analogy rightly, Christian spirituality is not don't just stand there, do something. It's much closer to don't just do something, stand there. Don't just do something, stand there. Children are utterly dependent upon their parents, at least for a time. If you leave a a two-month-old infant alone, even for a couple of hours, it won't survive. They're utterly dependent. But then they grow, and they become less and less dependent upon their parents for certain things. And actually, that's the way things should be. As parents, you try to raise your your children to be self-sustainable. You try to raise them to leave you, in fact, raise you to be independent. But with Jesus, it's exactly the opposite. If you're a Christian, as you mature in the faith, you grow more dependent, more aware of your constant, persistent, daily need for Jesus and the sustenance that the vine provides, more aware of how he has come down to you rather than how you have stood up and walk to him. More thankful because you see the times, as we read in this passage, where you have not abided, where you have not remained, where you have not obeyed, and yet Jesus has remained in you, where he has obeyed for you, where he has abided on your behalf. You become more and more dependent, more and more thankful. Jesus, friends, doesn't simply offer a set of new spiritual techniques or guidelines to master. He offers himself. He says, I am your source. I am your life. I am the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection. I am your vine. To go up an elevator, what do you have to do? You have to simply stand there. You get on the right elevator to go to the destination that you want to go to, and you stand there. You can run up, of course, under your own power, or you can stand there and let the elevator move you up to the place you need to be. With the branch vine analogy, it's exactly the same thing. The branch simply has to be on the vine. Now let me give that a moment to sink in, because some of you who have been trained in this whole game of spirituality, of the the don't just stand there, do something mentality, are thinking you've misheard me that surely I'm about to come around the corner and I'm going to give you the list of to-dos, the list of things that you're supposed to do in order to be branchy, in order to be more like a branch. But I'm not. I really am saying that Christian maturity, Christian growth, Jesus' spirituality is more about recognizing what Jesus is doing in your life rather than ratcheting up your own behavior. It's more about passively allowing change to take place and take root in your life than changing your performance in order to pursue God. I'm not saying that you don't, okay? But it's more. It's more, don't just do something, stand there. Be in the vine. Be a branch. Jesus is committed to changing you. Jesus is committed to bringing massive change in your life, much more so than you could ever imagine, and much more so than you could ever ratchet up in your own will. 
One writer put it this way, abiding means holding on loyal, loyally to the decision once taken. It's a, a British writer. He says abiding means holding on to, loyally to the decision once taken. That is a decision to be a, vine, be a branch connected to the vine. One can only hold on to it by continually going through it again. But the loyalty demanded is not primarily a continual being for, but being from. Not the holding of a position, but allowing oneself to be held. Allowing oneself to be held. Once we get this analogy, we begin to realize that much of our motivation for all of our spiritual busyness, much of the motivation for all of the don't just stand there, do something spirituality, much of the motivation for our moral performance was really meant to hide our need for Jesus, to be our own saviors, to curry favor with God by our performance, by our changed behavior, to say, God, look, now you can be proud of me. Look what I've done. Look what I've achieved for you. Look at all this fruit that I'm bearing for you. Aren't you happy with me now? We realize how much self-service was involved in our spirituality. Or we realize that running up the elevator was an attempt to tell God, this is how it's going to be. I've run up the elevator, I've stepped through the hoops, I've done everything you've asked of me, now you owe me big time. We see through our own spiritual efforts, and we see how vacuous and how empty they often are. Now, if we're listening to Jesus, he says he's committed to bring massive change to your life. He's committed to making you more like him, even if it kills him. He's willing to give up his life so that you can have it. That's how committed he is to bear fruit through you. Now, two applications quickly before we go to the second point. First of all, if you understand this, if you see the vine branch analogy correctly, you can't give up on yourself. You can't say, well, that's just the way I am. I had a bad childhood. I've had bad experiences. I'm just, you know, pugnaciously stagnant in my spirituality. I will never change. You cannot say that because what this analogy is saying, what Jesus is saying is that I am your vine and I will give you nutrients. I will change you. I will make you into a branch that feeds from me alone. You can't give up on yourself. And if, you, if you've been a Christian for a while and you're not seeing change, you're not seeing fruit that is happening through your life, then you need to ask why. You need to say, Jesus, I'm reading this in the, in the Bible and I don't see it happening in my life. What is going wrong? Chances are the answer is not going to be that you're not busy enough, that you're not consistent enough, that you're not performing well enough. It's going to be that you are disallowing him from certain parts of your life. You're disallowing him to be your center, the source, everything, that you're not seeing yourself as utterly dependent upon him. When you do, when you get this analogy, when you get the power that is resident in the vine, you can't give up on yourself. And then secondly, guess what that is? You can't give up on others. You can't say, they're one of those people. They'll never change. They've been like that as long as I've known them. 
If you understand the analogy, if you have optimism for yourself because of the vine, you have to have optimism for others. You have to say, I'd love to see change happen in that person's life. How could I help? How could I pitch in? You can't give up on yourself and you can't give up on others. In your groups this week, as you meet, talk about that. What does it mean to be a person at in town that we don't give up on ourselves and we don't give up on others? Talk about that in your group. Now, what kind of fruit are we talking about? Because Jesus is saying that I will bear fruit through you. What does that look like? What do we see happening in our lives to say, okay, I'm moving forward. I see how Jesus being the vine is changing me personally, changing me spiritually. What fruit do we look for? How do we identify it? We said that this analogy means that this relationship between Jesus and the, the, between the vine and the branches, between Jesus and you, is powerful and it's also reproductive. And for this, we have to reach back into the Old Testament. What we've been saying through this series is that what Jesus is doing as he says, I am, as he's reaching back into ancient Israel's history, reaching back into the Old Testament and saying all of the hopes that were resident in God's promises in the tabernacle, in the temple, all of the hopes that were represented in the king of Israel, I am that. I am God come to dwell with his people. I am everything that Israel hoped for. And he has been picking up on specific images that is saying, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection. I am the good shepherd. And here, I am the true vine. He's picking up on the vine imagery. And if you're listening as we read the passages during the liturgy, have you noticed that we, we try to pick passages that kind of build up to the sermon if you haven't noticed that, start, start paying attention. It'll, it'll cause you to tune in a little bit more as people are reading. But if you notice, there is vine imagery in these passages and all through the Old Testament that Israel was to be a vine. Israel was to be a luscious and, and fruitful vine that was growing and bringing God's grace outward to other people, to new people, to new places, that it wasn't just supposed to be a vine in and of itself, a healthy vine expands and grows, and it was supposed to bring grace into the presence of new people and new places. They were to be the source of grace for everyone, that others would be connected because of the beautiful relationship that they saw between God as the gardener and the vine that he was tending that that was supposed to be compelling, appealing, attractive to where people would say, I want to be in that. I want to know what it means to belong into the people of God because look how the gardener cultivates them. Look at the loving relationship that they had. But you'll also notice if you're listening to the passages that God was saying, you missed it. Israel, you missed it. You missed the fact that you were to be a vine for others. He was chastening them for corralling God's grace into one place, for not looking outward, not looking for new places to grow and to expand and to bring God's grace to new people, to all nations, as it were. Instead, they said, we're the privileged people. We're going to stand here and occupy this land that God has given us, and we don't want anyone else to partake of it. 
That was basically the attitude during many parts of Israel's history, and the prophets were chastening them for that, saying, you have missed it. I looked for justice. I looked for love, and it was not there. But Jesus says, I am going to succeed where Israel failed. I am the true vine. What Israel was meant to do, that is be a healthy, luscious, growing vine that was bringing grace to all nations. Jesus says, I'm that. I'm the fulfillment of that. I am the true vine, and I will bring grace to all nations. I will be what Israel failed to be. What this means is that when Jesus uses this analogy, it's not the, he's not giving you primarily the keys to a powerful inner life. Instead, he is saying, I want to make you a branch that brings grace into new places. The massive change that he wants to bring in your life, the fruit that you need to look for to notice that he's at work, is that you become a person who knows that your inclusion into the people of God is for the purpose of others. It is for the purpose of extending grace to other people. It is for the purpose of taking the compassion, taking the kindness, taking the love that Jesus gives to you and sharing it with others. And if that process is not taking place at some level in some capacity, then there's something broken here. There's something that's disconnected. There's certainly a personal character aspect to this. Certainly a personal maturity aspect, a personal growth property. But the fruit that Jesus is specifically talking about here is that other nations come into contact with God. That other nations get grafted onto the vine. Other people experience God's grace for the very first time. Now how do you obey where Israel failed? How do we as a church obey where Israel failed? How do we become branches that abide, that bear fruit? We have to realize and we have to put first things first. We have to see God's grace at work that we're responding to, not obeying in order to gain grace. Do you notice in the passage it says, remember that I am the God that brought you out of Egypt. In other words, follow me because look what I've done for you. Look at the God I am for you. Can you turn away from that? Remember who I am and who I have been for you, and therefore obey. Not obey in order that I save you. Obey in order to gain my grace. What Jesus is saying is not obey my commands in order to gain my love, but to what? Remain in it. Obey in order to abide in it, not to gain it. Not obey so I will love you, but obey because I love you. You notice he said, you're already clean. Not go and share the good news off all nations and then you'll be clean. But go because you are, because you are eternally clean, because I've made you good. Not obey to gain salvation, but obey to gain joy. Obey God's commands to be happy. That's what he's saying. Not run up the escalator to gain acceptance because you've run real hard and you've tried real hard and you've made it to the top and now God should accept you because look at the spiritual work you've done. But stand there. Stand there on the escalator and let God carry you where he wants you. Go to his destination. 
Allow him to move you into relationships, into places that need the healing presence of God. Allow him to direct you into those places, into those people's lives. How did Jesus get this across to his disciples? How did he say, look, I want you to obey because I want you to be happy. I want you to follow me. I want you to be a conduit of grace into others' lives. I want you to be a branch that brings healing presence to new places because I love you, not to earn it. How did he get that across to them? He served them. He served them. A few chapters earlier in John, we read about the the Last Supper that Jesus has with his disciples. And he knows he's about to be betrayed. He knows he's about to be arrested, put on trial, judged unjustly, condemned, beaten, killed. And worst of all, maybe worst of all, he he knows that his friends, those that he has trained, those that he has lived with for the past number of years, are going to leave him. And one of his disciples is going to betray him. He knows this is about to happen. And so he has this meal, and as he sets out the meal, they realize that there's no household slave there, as would be customary at most of these gatherings. In an upper room, you have a slave that would come to do what? To wash their feet. Because you wear sandals around Jerusalem, and they get dirty and nasty, and you step in all of the scum and, and you know, gunk and stuff that's on the road as horses and stuff walk through that doesn't get cleaned up like it does here. And so one of the most disgusting things to do would be to grab someone's foot and wash it. So they had slaves to do this, but there wasn't a slave present. And what are the disciples doing? Instead of running around trying to figure out, okay, I need to wash my master's feet, they're wondering who is the greatest in the kingdom. If Jesus is going away... Who's going to lead this? Who's the greatest? And they're arguing about that. So no, not one of them is going to take up a rag and assume the position of a slave and wash each other's feet. If they're worried about who's the greatest, they're not going to do that. And what does Jesus do? He takes on the garb of a household slave and washes their feet. These guys that are about to depart from him, betray him, walk away from him in his moment of need, He becomes a slave to them and washes their feet. And what does he say? How does he describe his action? In John 13, 17, he says, Now that you know these things, what things? Now that you know this is my way of life, that I have become a slave for you, and that joy is had when you become a slave to others. He says, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now, blessed is this huge word. It doesn't just mean that you gain a little something, a little blessing like we kind of use it. Blessed means fulfilled, happy, satisfied. It means you have what you want. It means you have everything that you need. If you do these things like I do them, you will be blessed. If you serve others as a way of life, if that's the fruit that you see happening in your life, you will be truly happy. You will be fulfilled. It's exactly counter to how we think normally and naturally. It's that I must consume, I must pursue, I must grab hold of that which I want, rather than letting go. I must use others to serve my needs and to serve my interests rather than becoming a slave to them. That can't be the way to happiness. 
But that's what Jesus is saying. That's what the vine does, is he brings happiness, he brings fulfillment, he brings blessing, insofar as the branches see themselves as servants to others. Insofar as you realize your task in life is to put God at the center of your life and serve others, that's where blessedness comes. So obedience is not to earn, obedience is to experience. Obedience is to be blessed. Obedience is to walk in the direction of happiness. Notice what he said at the conclusion of our passage, 1511. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. So that I may be happy in you, so that you may receive my happiness. I have told you these things. And that your joy may be complete. That's the point, that your joy may be complete, that you would be a branch who serves others and gains happiness, gains fulfillment through that. Do you believe that? Have you experienced that before? Have you experienced the joy that comes when you put others' needs first? What we have to do, what we have to realize is that at the center of Jesus' words, at the center of this analogy, at the center of his life, is not to obey, to remain, to abide, to keep him happy. He's granted you his happiness. He's granted you his joy, his pleasure. He has said, you are clean. I am pleased with you if you are in the vine. Don't worry about that anymore. I'm happy with you. Don't obey to keep me happy. Obey so that you will be happy. And obedience means taking God's grace to others. That's the fruit that he's talking about. His joy was to lay down his life for you, for anyone who would receive it. He says, I lay down my life, not because I'm compelled to do it, because it gives me joy to do it. I lay down my life so that you can have everlasting joy. And to experience this joy, to be happy in his joy, you turn outward, not inward. You turn to others, not to yourself. You bring others into contact with the vine. You lay down your life so that others can be grafted in. That's a lead-in to what we're talking about during our core values, that this is going to be a church that is for others, that is not so that we can just become a reservoir Not so that we can be happy and fat and glad and spiritually mature. It's so that we can bring others in. That's really the point of in town because that's the point of the gospel. That's the point of Jesus' life is that he laid it down so that you could take it up. He laid it down so that you could have grace. That was his purpose. And insofar as we adopt his purpose, insofar as we see that as our main focus of life, then you remain, you abide you experience his love, and you are blessed. That's the way of life. That's the way of gospel life. Take hold of that now if you haven't already. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this analogy. But Lord, we also admit a lot of trepidation, a lot of fear, a lot of wonderment, a lot of confusion because So many of us have tried so hard for so long to do it on our own, to climb up the escalator, that it's hard to just stand there and listen, stand there and be moved by you. 
Father, help us to know where your compelling grace is moving us and then to step forward. Father, help us if we are here this morning and we are still asking whether you're the true vine in reality. Would you move into our our hearts? Would you answer our questions? Would you answer our objections? And would you meet with us? And as we come to the table, would you meet with your people in a powerful way to convince us that you are the true vine? And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.